0: Good afternoon and welcome back to The S'morecast. I'm your host, Brandon Anderson, and we are back for episode number two. It's been a while, um, some up and downs, trying to figure out things, a lot of uh, things that I wanted to do with this podcast I really couldn't due to, unfortunately, some NDAs, um and some other things that have come up in life. I know I was gonna fe- uh, feature quite a bit of stuff on this episode or on this the series um, relating to life, but a lot of it was kind of blocked between NDAs, um, court issues that had nothing really to do with me personally, but the situation that my family has gone through. Um, there's a lot. Still, it's the court case I'm going through still has a pending criminal trial. Waiting, So I'm trying to hold back on um, talking about that It has to deal with my ex-wife and her husband um, Directly involving my kiddo with her um, Or sort of directly dealing with that But um, a lot of things I wanted to produce on this show I just couldn't um, I think the episode 2 The rise and downfall of being a wildland firefighter um, it, it's time to come out with this story. It's time to end what has been sitting for a while um, that needed to be done and it is clearly being done today when this episode uploads. It is done with. The story is now mine. Um, I, I, Despite the fact an NDA being signed, um, my understanding was the only repercussion of discussing the NDA or the situation that happened. Um, was termination from uh, volunteering. So that's not on the ca- uh, cart right now. Obviously, with me resigning today on my two-year anniversary of being a lawland firefighter, I think this means quite a bit, um, essentially, to not necessarily expose the system. That's not what I'm trying to do. I have no hard feelings with it. I think it was a crappy situation that um essentially happened um with me um and just the it, just the overall perspective of how things were handled ultimately made my decision even more prominent of what I was gonna be doing with resigning. It just took a while. There was a lot of. Interviews being done with um, lawyers and not lawyers, but lawyer, um, not mine directly, but the 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 county that I I, I volunteered for, um, things like that, that created an environment that was not really welcoming and kind of kind of pushed me more away from wanting to do what ultimately I wanted to do. Um, but I think there's a lot of other aspects that kind of went into that when you take a step back and really look at whatever what all happened during that time frame. Um, so I want to prephrase this episode with that. Um, I I want wanted to record so many episodes of the S'morecast. Um, I, I think I'm going to use this platform a little bit different now. I I think next week will be or not next week, but the next episode will be based around uh, the Gram Slam podcast and what the ups and downs of that was, um, the behind the scenes, the struggles that I continue to deal with and still to this day deal with um, just running an Instagram account with it. Um, I think there's a lot to uncover with all that and then uncover with my life. The journey I've gone on, um, the things about like my ex wife, her husband, those little things, things that'll come out later this year, I'm hoping, as long as the trial wraps up. I think there is a lot to discuss in that um, that is eye opening. Um, It's disgusting in many different forms. And. Hopefully, when that case is over, I can then put together a series of podcasts talking about this, um, trying to get the word out there of what needs to be changed in this country, whether it is something that's directly um, in Colorado. I've heard from numerous people um, in similar situations in different states, that, and keep in mind, let me kind of clarify with this, um where I'm going with this. This is a case about um potential um they're being accused. they've been found guilty in a civil court of child abuse on a child. um so that those will be very uh, not sketchy, but more um. Red flags to child abuse, things like that. Um, I I won't necessarily, for the protection of the children involved, won't get into detail with it, but to kind of explain our system, the justice system, uh, Department of Human Services, which a lot of you know as CPS, Child Protective Services, we just call it different here in Colorado. Um, but there's a lot that happened during that time frame and is still going on almost a year and a half later um, that is concerning. It's concerning for any child or family that um, gets involved with the system, whether they are criminals, whether they're not. Um, in my part, I am not part of any criminal um, allegations or anything like that. Um, but on their side, they are Um Thankfully enough, the child in question is in 100% protective care with her family, um, with her biological dad. My child is here too. So, there's going to be a lot of episodes pertaining to my direct real life, um, things that I've gone through. And I may dive a little deeper, um, like I talked about on the Smorecast number or part episode one about becoming a police officer. Um, and how, or sheriff, uh, sheriff Deputy, how that essentially, those situations I've gone through and can explain the process, how hard it is, what I send caution out. Um, other episodes could be running a business um, and the uh, rise and fall of running a Funko Pop action figure basic, excuse me, uh, basic uh, business or whatnot, there's a lot that I could cover on this series. And I think that's what I'm going to do and kind of go from there. But I think today is the perfect day. It is officially the two-year anniversary of me becoming a wildland firefighter and just discussing the downfall of what essentially happened um, to cause the downfall of it and there's a lot to it there's a lot of different pieces um to the puzzle um i I will say in this um i will not be naming names um there may be mentions of supervisors commanders things like that um there is no names to these people um for their protection for Um, the county that I worked for and things like that or volunteered for, I think that kind of will stay there. Um, But at least I can tell my side of the story to it and what I experienced and the ultimate downfall of everything that essentially happened with that. So let's go ahead. Um, This has been about an eight eight and a half minute intro, kind of just explaining where I'm going with this story and how it Consumed two years of my life and really ultimately the situation dealing with my ex-wife, that court case and everything kind of then pushed away fire even more. Um, So because of the timing, the commitment I had to do for um, things with my daughter or whatnot. So that'll all be for a future episode, but let's go ahead and dive into Wildland firefighting, the rise and fall of being a wildland firefighter right now. Let's go. Okay, so where to start out? So last episode, um, I left off with um, talking about the three fires that I went on. Um, Technically weren't fires. They were almost put out by the time we got there. Um, So let's kind of dive back into just the aspect of where essentially I came from with wanting to become a wildland firefighter and some of the obstacles that I faced in trying to present these ideas to um, leadership, um, doing some things on my own that I kind of brought forward to them and then nothing ever came for that. Um, Let's talk about that type of stuff um, to kind of start this out to get the story kind of moving. So after I had um, certified as a wildland firefighter, passed my pack test, um, I believe it was uh, December of 2020, um, we basically at that point kind of had some different things we did. Um, we attended a uh, funeral procession for a uh, fallen firefighter um, locally, um, a lot of different training. We had business meetings every month. And then, of course, um, went on patrol. That was a big thing that we used to do is go on patrol to kind of monitor the county um, for any, like, red flag days where it was going to be prone to um, poor weather conditions for wildland fires. We would go patrol the county. Um, this would be a great opportunity for a lot of the, like, captains or fellow, Um, wildland firefighters uh, that I patrolled with to kind of get to know more of the ins and outs and to learn kind of more the general uh, topography and area of the um, overall like county that we were patrolling and protecting or whatnot. And as time went on, um, weekly... To kind of fill you in, our our schedule for Wildland Fire was training every Wednesday night. Um, There would be an occasional, if there was a fifth Wednesday in a month, it was either left open for optional training or you were off. Um, So we did that. Business meetings were once a month. Um, We had filled days. I think every couple quarters or any time there was a new um, rookie class coming in to volunteer and overall, it was it was a great perspective. I learned a lot off of it. Um, I got to go places that I would have never imagined to get to go, to go do stuff. Um, there was back um, in April of last year, uh, ended up going to Glenwood Springs uh, for the Glenwood Springs Memorial Hike. Um, there was a fire there back in 1994 where um quite a bit of firefighters passed away in the line of duty in that fire. Um, so we got to go do that. That was an all day event. Um got reimbursed by the county for that or whatnot. Stayed in a hotel, um, went out to dinner with uh the crew and then of course um went to dinner with the visiting fire department from uh Kansas that was in doing the hike as well. So that was cool. Um got to enjoy the hot springs, and then just do the hike and come back home that following uh, Sunday. So it was a a good experience. Um, And then, of course, um, we went to different type of trainings, um, hose packs, hydrant operations, hooking the hose up the hydrants, um, hose packs, which are uh, packs that you put on your back and um, can basically attach them to a hydrant or a running line from the hydrant or the truck and you just basically take that pack and run out with it Um, that essentially brings the hose out expands your um, horizon of how much hose you have to fight a fire or however far the fire is from where your water source is Um, so we got to do that Um, portable pumps and drafting, um, there's a little like lake next to the, not lake, but a, um, river stream, uh, creek or whatever next to the station. So we got to go down there and set up portable pumps to draft water out of that creek to fight fires. That's kind of a common thing in wildland firefighting. Anywhere you can find water is a huge, um, thing. We did mobile attack, um, PowerPoint training, um chipping uh community service events, chipping wood for um people that cleaned up their or mitigated their landscapes and things like that and then the big part of this was last summer um back on I believe June fifteenth we had a uh, informational meeting about going on assignment. Now, what that is for anyone not in the know of wildland firefighting, an assignment is, and I, I may have talked about this a little bit on episode one, but what it is is at any time a wildland crew um, can be requested, or a station can be requested to go out on assignment. This can be forty-eight hours, a week, uh, there may be three days a week, two weeks, and potentially longer depending on... Sometimes it's up to 18 days depending on travel and all that type of stuff. And so I went to this because that was my ultimate goal. This You got paid for um, assignments. Um, Unlike being a volunteer, there's no pay to that. It's on your own time and everything. But assignments is where you made some money. So I had planned out, had 80 hours of vacation time at work, planned out to go... And was under the impression with any time I could get up and leave um, my work, my full-time job to go be on an assignment. Whether that was on an active fire, um, being on um, basically going up and sitting and pre-positioning up for a potential fire or a higher risk of... Uh, fire conditions in a certain state, uh certain area. This These assignments normally are always going to be out of state. And that's exactly essentially what we did. Um, but the, the meeting for it was in June of 2021. Um, and we got a little bit of information there, here and there, from our captain um, or chief or whatnot and um, some of the lieutenants and captains. And... Kind of just went over all the steps of what was required, what supplies you need, um, how long it would be depending on the um, assignment you were put on, what an assignment would look like if you were on a fire, everything you could imagine was questioned and answered at this. And there was a lot of um, information that was given that I later down the road found out was incorrect. Um, this was a mistake on someone's part or if there was just no information available of what really was happening through the county I volunteered for. Um, so then shortly after that, we had a, um, GPS map fill training. We basically went around, uh, checking GPS coordinates of, Hey, there's a fire here. Go check this coordinates and you'd have to, drive to that location or that cordon, so you'd have to radio back in, let them know, hey, this is where we're at. And essentially, when we did that, um, if you got went to the right cor- location, once you chimed in, they would tell you you were right or whatnot. Um, we went on a little hike after that. And then, <clears throat> essentially... Then there was a fire um, that we went on, um, which was in June of last year. um, In the middle of nowhere, Uh, there was a top of a mountain. It was nearly at the top of a mountain. Um, We responded. I think it was two crews we took down to this fire. We met up with other counties. um, and I believe the Forest Service on this one, because it was in federal land, um, but they did request our assistance, so we got there, kind of chit chatted, uh, chit chatted for a while um, with the overall like uh, commanding crew that was there and leadership, and watched a few flybys with the helicopter dropping water onto this fire. They had already had a crew go up to the fire, um, and it was a good almost two hours of hiking to get to this fire. So we knew we were in for it, but at that point in time, we were told we were probably not going. Um, later on, probably about an hour and a half, two hours later, we were told then, yes, they needed someone up there. So we were like, okay, well, hopefully we can get there up, up there quicker than what they did. Um, because it, it sounded like by the time we got up there, it was about to hit like... The sun was setting, things like that. So that could create a completely different, uh, dangerous environment. So we started hiking um, probably a good hour, hour and a half into this hike up this mountain. We ended up running into a, a thunderstorm that was coming through. And we were in side of a mountain pretty exposed to the conditions, whether it was rain, there was lightning, there was thunder. Um, that we got to a point where we all made the decision and let our commanding crew know that we were not continuing on this fire. Um, Safety, and we knew going back down was not going to take that hour and a half. It actually was a lot shorter. I think it ended up being like 30, 35 minutes going down. Um, But, of course, going up, you're going up a mountain. You have a lot of debris, um, fallen debris from whatever it may be. Um, small river cross, you name it, there was an obstacle to go up this mountain, but going down was pretty quick. So we canceled, we went back down. Um, they ended up essentially finishing the fire, uh, the crew that was up there along with the helicopter, and that was the end of that. Um, we had another business meeting and uh, creating line construction we did and kind of just Basically set up a lot of different scenarios in firefighting that um, we did or whatnot. Um, Well, technically, line construction, I think, did not happen because if I'm not mistaken, that is the day we actually left on assignment. So let me go back a little bit. So. Shortly after that fire in June, um, we did a few things, and then um, we as a crew got picked, there was four of us that got picked, um, to go on a fire or be assigned. Um, the 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 commanding officer or captain or chief or whatever had put our, our truck up onto a national platform um, for our uh, section of the country for any wildland fires that essentially were happening um we'd be the first to get called if they needed additional support so and this is really this story basically is where the wildland fire fighting part um kind of decreased completely my want to be in it um just the the atmosphere the culture this is where the turning point was now i was a firefighter for about a year and a month at this point and had all expectations of potentially getting my commercial driver's license to drive the actual type 3 fire truck um, to potentially uh, be hired on as paid staff to leave my current job that i was that i'm at and to do all that. There's so many goals I had set forward because I this was this is what I wanted to do. Um, so we got the call on the twentieth of July, so just about a year ago. And we got the notification basically at I think three or four o'clock in the afternoon that we had to be at the station at five AM in the morning or 5 a.m. I hate when I, I say that all the time and get made fun of. At 5 in the morning, um, we'd be leaving roughly about 6, 6.30 after getting the truck packed and everything. Um, so I had to get all my gear ready. I had my fire line pack. I had pretty much everything you could imagine. Um, two weeks, this assignment, keep in mind, was for two weeks. Um, it would be one day driving up there, 14 days there and then one day travel. So technically it was 16 days total. And we ended up leaving on that Wednesday. And we are going up to what was the dry uh, fork fire in, I believe it was Gillette, Wyoming. And I had put basically my life on hold at this point. 100%. This is what I was going to do. Nothing was going to get in the way of this. This was this was the goal. Now, of course, as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, I still had situation going on with um, Department of Human Services or Child Protective Services with my ex-wife. They were involved in our lives at all point in time because of my daughter. Um, we also had um, court cases. I had a full-time lawyer on um, basically assisting with this case and trying to get rights to my daughter or whatnot, and there is Guardian at Lidham's, which is a child lawyer for um, all the kiddos that were involved. There was a bunch going on, so to throw a a monkey wrench into everything and to be gone for 16 straight days when there's so much going on probably wasn't the best decision, but... This was at least going to elevate my fire career. This was going to make it where I essentially, give or take, was going to make the final decision after this to either apply to go full-time because that was something that was coming up um, or whatnot. So it remains to be seen um, what essentially would happen with that. Obviously, we know now that (laughs) that clearly is not happening. Um, but, um, on July 21st is the day we left. Um, now I was running at that point in time, I was running the grand slam podcast and had to basically stop everything. I wasn't able to do the games, barely was going to be able to follow the games. That was what was expected because we were going on this fire, um, in Wyoming and expected to be on it for two weeks. Which at that point meant limited resources for phone, talking to like people, anything like that. Um, or even, again, following baseball and what I was doing here in Colorado Springs with the Grand Slam podcast and stuff. So, it all started. We leave that morning, um, roughly I think about like 6, 6.30 in the morning. And get up the highway. Our first stop was in Fort Collins, Colorado. Get gas and to essentially um, check in with dispatch in Wyoming and start heading to um, the fire. Um, we I think we had another couple hours ahead of us or four or five hours ahead of us of driving before we got to Gillette, Wyoming. So we fill up. Um, we as well. Let me back up a little bit. So right before we got there, um, I had noticed on um, Instagram on a wildland fire page that they were saying that the dry fork fire was put out and it was at a hundred percent containment. And I'm like, Hmm, wonder why we're being called there to assist with this fire if it's put out. Um, so that's kind of weird. So I was like, Hmm, I told the crew and they kind of were like, that is kind of weird. They looked it up and saw the same thing I was. So, um, we were a little confused, but we stopped in Fort Collins, got gas, got some snacks or whatnot, and figured we had stopped for lunch um, in Wyoming. And we go ahead, we start getting on the highway, and we get a call from dispatch, um, from Wyoming dispatch to let us know that, hey, um, you're being reassigned. Um, you are not going to um, the fire. Um, you're going to be... Uh, basically going to another part of Wyoming to um, be put on what was called severity watch. Um, basically, pre-positioning in case a fire happens um, and things like that. So, okay, fine. That perfectly works. Um, not a not a big deal. Seems pretty awesome. So, at that point, um, we found out. We went through, drove... Um, into, I believe it was Saratoga, Wyoming, if I'm not mistaken, and had lunch at DQ, got some food, filled up the gas again, and started heading to this new place, which was on the whole um, west side of Wyoming compared to Gillette was northern part. So we knew where we had to go. It is what it was. Um, So we start heading down about 20, 30 minutes down, we get another call from dispatch telling us, "Nope, you have been reassigned. Come back, come back to Saratoga. Meet up with the um, the National Forest Service um, or whatnot, and they will basically you're going to be in Wyoming um, for uh, two weeks, and you're going to be on severity watch, um, keeping an eye out for any fires." There were some other local um, fire departments up there doing um, severity as well, along with an actual fire crew that I'm pretty aware aware of um, that's right up the street from my house, was also on severity watch up there as well. So that was pretty cool. Um, So... We get we get everything done. Um, we get our plans from um, fill our tank up, fill everything up um, at the uh, forest service station or whatnot, uh, their main hub station, and we are told we are going to um, our final destination to a um, an, an actual uh, forest service like fire station that we were reporting out of um, for calls and things like that. Um, which was in Saratoga, Wyoming. And um, we get up there, um, probably a couple hours later, going through uh, different parts of the uh, Medicine Bow uh, National Forest um, to get to from uh, the original Laramie, Wyoming, is where we originally were, and then we went to Saratoga. So we get in there, we get to the, the... Uh, reporting station that we're sitting out of um, very nice people up there kind of introduced us to the city um, told us as of right now there was some kind of festival going on there's no hotels available um, at least during the week there may be some during the weekend into next week Um, so after about a good Half a day of learning the city and everything like that in Saratoga. um, We were told that we needed to go to Rollins, Wyoming. And this was where, essentially, we'd be finding a hotel and staying there. um, Which was a good, probably, 45 minutes, if not a little bit longer, away from the station. Just because of the hotel situation. We got a hotel situated for... The rest of the, assi- the assignment, I think, starting that Sunday or Monday, following Sunday or Monday. So we went up to Rollins. Um, we found a hotel. Um, this is kind of where it gets a little weird. So we were told in that assignment business meeting that we had, informational meeting back in June of 2021, that when you're on assignment, if you're ever on, like, severity watch, things like that, you'd be bunked in your own hotel room perfectly makes sense, Um, especially when you are with your crew all day long, and this is how I understood other fire departments that were up on severity watch with us were doing the exact same things. Um, They didn't want their guys together whatsoever um, after shift, and there was reasons for that. Um, Just the Aspect of you're usually sitting in a truck for 12 to 14 hours a day driving around the um, mountains and the forest area and stuff like that. That by the time you're off shift for the night and wanting to go to bed, having your own living quarters is what normally is the process. Now, that could have changed by now, we're another year past. But that's was our understanding going in the training or into that training, and that was also the understanding of other departments. And that was not what was done by the leader that was our like commander or whatnot for it., um, and it was kind of weird. So I got bunked up with one of the new um, other rookies, essentially. He was a little newer than I was., um, but quickly, learned that he wasn't really talkative, which is not a big problem, but um, it just it it felt awkward pretty quick, um, bunking with someone else and trying to get on a sleeping schedule or habit of someone else, because normally, you go to a hotel room, you're either on vacation, you're staying somewhere... If you're sharing a room, normally 90% of the time it's with a significant other, it's with your kids. It's not, in this scenario, with a other employee, I guess you could say, or other volunteer. But, I mean, there'd be times he'd want to go to bed at 8, 9 o'clock at night once we were home after eating. And I, I, I my mind didn't shut off till a little bit later. I wanted to watch TV, couldn't do that um i would put a podcast on with my headphones and fall asleep that way um so there's a lot of issues there and um during that week i i think the the first couple days had to be the roughest i i felt like crap in the mornings i did not feel good um our first well and that was the other thing too is when we got into rollins we discovered that the truck itself had some mechanical issues. There was a switch broken or something um, that was causing a error message come up on the dashboard for engine check. So we had to get that fixed first thing right off the bat the following morning. So that was a good probably three hours the following morning we had to do before we could even go back on shift. Um So that was was one thing. Um, The overall aspect of just, like, dealing with the constant back and forth with some of the, like, things we are told. And then that's not what was being done. Um, That was a constant issue um, with different – this was the biggest issue I think I came across on this was – During the assignment informational meeting, we were told, because I had asked on numerous occasions during this meeting, to our chief and two other commanders that were there that had been on assignment plenty of times before, who pays for your food? If you're on assignment, if you're on severity watch, if you're on the fire, if you're on a fire, normally food is provided. Um, You also have food in your pack for the day. Um, But if you're on a large fire, a national fire or whatnot, then you get food provided to you by um, either like Red Cross, things like that, that donate food. When you're on Severity Watch, obviously you're stopping for food, you're going places or whatnot. And what I learned quickly was that we had to pay for our food up front and then we would get reimbursed by the county when we got home keep in mind when we got home that was what we were told and so I learned quickly like when I asked in that informational meeting like how much money should I sit aside for an assignment a paycheck and I explained how much I made how much I this in my normal job how much do I need to sit aside and I was told on numerous occasions and so was everyone else in that informational meeting Probably under about 500 There's not much else you need. Your hotel room's covered. Your food would be covered. It's all being paid for by the county. Okay, cool. There's going to be a county credit card, blah, blah, blah. No problem. If you want to take extra money for other things um, that are not covered, like if, say, one night after duty, you wanted to go have a beer, as long as you were not in uniform, that is not a problem. Um, so that's, that's where you would pay for that type of stuff on your own and, or any like snacks and stuff like that, that didn't consider, didn't count towards your overall lunch bill, um, or food allowance, whatever you want to call it. So, okay, that's fine. Um, that's what we were told, but that's obviously not what happened. What ended up happening was I had to borrow money after probably four or five days because, We would choose to eat at probably the most expensive restaurants in Wyoming possible. And I mean the most expensive. We're talking meals that were $15, $16, and you still had to tip. Um, Because we were all on separate tabs, we all had to still contribute to a tip. It wasn't like one tab because you had to turn in your receipt as an individual to the county to get reimbursed which is crap to begin with. So I ran out of money pretty quick. Um, being in a wealthy area of Wyoming, it was not cheap to eat. And just the overall, like I said, I, I didn't feel good the first couple of days. I, I was homesick. I didn't want to be there. Um, after learning that we were going to be sitting in a truck for a th- 12 to 14 hours a day. That's not including if we got a call to a fire. There's so much wrong with the severity watch that we were on compared, and let me just put it this way: compared to the other departments that were from Color Springs or from Wyoming or surrounding areas, their assignment from talking to them directly was completely different than what we did. And I, I do feel that was a hundred percent. Based on the leadership that we had on this assignment. And this isn't even, like I said, this isn't even the beginning of it. We're, we're literally like a couple days into the assignment. This assignment lasted 16 total days. Um, and it just got worse as time got uh, went on. I believe it was like the second day or third day into the assignment where we go down We go to the Forest Service station in the morning. We get our assignment, um, get what coverage of the um, National Bow um, Forest area we're covering for the day and what we needed to do and any tasks we had to complete. Not a problem. We get out on the road, and the leader we had was just left and right. Continued and continued and continued to question myself and the other trainee or rookie that um, graduated couple probably a month or two prior to going on assignment. He had never been on a fire. I had not officially ever been on a true fire either um, that I actually fought. I think I had one cleanup by then or two. So it was, it was one of those things, like, we get questioned on stuff that we had never learned. I mean, we're talking weather stuff that, this guy was a weather expert. I, I gotta give him credit where credit's due. The guy is smart. Um, he's intelligent. I never really had an issue with him, but I always had a weird vibe about him. Like, from day one up until we went on this assignment, especially after the assignment um and when we went on this assignment and were essentially put in this position of being in the car he was leadership that's actually not even what was supposed to happen what was supposed to happen is as he was supposed to be like the head captain or whatever you want to call it commander for the the assignment we were supposed to rotate throughout the the assignment so because we we're on severity there you're not a hound, hound to a actual fire you would switch off you're supposed to switch drivers, switch uh, commander seat so someone else would run commander seat for the day and switch out throughout the truck. That is not what happened at all during that 16 days and me and the other um, firefighter were stuck in the back seat of the uh, type 6. Fire truck, brush truck, basically, for hours and hours and hours. And we get quizzed on certain things, and we'd have no idea. They're, they're, we just never learned any of this stuff, nor would we ever, because it had nothing to do with wildland fire other than weather. Weather is huge in firefighting, especially in wildland, but not to this severity. This, this is, we're talking... The level of weather he was talking about was basically like a meteorologist on the news, and having a f- degree in meteorologist and being a weather person that has nothing to do with firefighting. You are to know your your wind speeds, um, what the weather is like, the uh, the forecast when you're the height of the the um, heat. There's all different things you need to know. But some of the stuff he was quizzing us on with wording, we had no idea. Um, and I, if, if I'm not mistaking, it was about two days in. We stopped to use the restroom. Um, obviously, we're in the middle of the forest, whatever. Stop in a safe place where, obviously, there's not going to be someone driving by or whatnot. And we get out, go down a little bit, use the restroom, come back up. And we get up. Um, he wanted to quiz us on how to fill out a form for the assignment. So basically like tracking our hours and everything like that. Something we've never seen. We never went over this form. We may have kind of went over it in the informational meeting, but it was not to that extreme where we're filling it out, but just seeing like what the document said. Um, He wanted us to write down what assignment we were on. He would give us a sheet of paper. And you could barely read any of this. It was hard to read. Um, There was a lot of uh, acronyms in the document that I had no idea, nor did the other trainee know. So we did decent, but not that great on, on the quiz. And this is where it started to get, in my opinion, now this is solely my opinion... Um, it started to get a little hostile. And so then after that, he was like, okay, we're going to quiz you on some other things, which, okay, fine. That That is perfectly fine. Um, quizzing, okay, whatever, um, was our standard firefighting orders and watch-out situations, which is best known as the 10s and 18s. Now, of course... Let me put into perspective. I went and actually paused this recording to go grab my notebook I found the other night. um, Or um, filing thing with all the information from this assignment, essentially. And what it was is the standard firefighting orders and watch out situations are the key points of being a wildland firefighter. You need to know these to keep safe, to keep others safe, and to basically fight the fire in a, I wouldn't say professional way, but more of a safety way that um, would not essentially harm anyone, try to cut down on loss of property, or getting yourself into like a sticky situation. So the big thing about this is... Standard firefighting orders and watch-out situations. Going back one calendar year, almost at one calendar year from when I went on assignment, when we went through training, we obviously went through your basic training online during the pandemic with the um, NWCG S-190, which is Intro to Wildland Fire Behavior, um, the S-130 firefighter training, and then the um, L-180 Human Factors in the Wildland Fire Service. These are like main courses that you have to take to get your certifications as a wildland fire. These certifications do go over the standard firefighting orders and the watch-out situations. The big thing about this is in that year and Probably three weeks that I was going through training, graduating, going on um, basically patrol, whatever you want to call it. All this different stuff that we did. Not once, and let me repeat myself again, not once in that time frame did it get hounded into us other than in some of the initial S-190 Intro to the Wildland Fire Behavior courses, was it really talked about knowing and memorizing most of the the 10s and 18s, as we call them? And I had known a few of them here and there. Um, It wasn't something that was practiced. Once I left fire training or whatnot, it's back to normal life. I have a full-time job, have four kids, have a a spouse, and have a full-time life outside the fire. That's why I'm a volunteer. So it was never pushed or really set upon to learn these to a T. It just wasn't. It was not promoted. It was not anything. And I'm starting to learn from conversation with um, different firefighting um, organizations locally that and family that's firefighting, that these are pretty common things that are drilled into every firefighter, regardless if you're wildland or not. So it's kind of weird. Um, definitely a big learning opportunity for the wildland crew that it was on because it seems like this was never culture to promote it. Um, but, anyways, so. On the assignment, we got quizzed to write down as quickly as we can. I think it was 60 seconds or something he gave us. To write down the um, 28 different standard firefighting orders and the watch out um, situations. I got a few here and there right. Not much, nor did the other rookie probably I think got 5 or 6 right or 7 maybe. But it wasn't that many. And we couldn't look at our um, purple guides, which is called your incident response pocket guide, your IRPG. Couldn't look at that, which has them on the back um, cover or whatnot. So it was what it was. And he basically stated that the commander wanted us in the next 12 days, no matter what we did, to memorize all... 28 of those and could basically name them off by heart or from memory right off the bat when they're asked whether we're driving down the road and he would ask what's number 6 you would have to know it by heart in those 12 days and memorize it to when he just randomly wanted to quiz you you would have to say it out loud or whatnot. and it got to the point where he was telling us that if we didn't do this, we'd have to do push-ups or something, essentially. But by the end of the assignment, no matter what, you're going to know these. And I let me put it this way. I've never been one for <laughs> learning that well. Um, I had a hard time in school growing up. Um, I barely, barely slid through college. Um with my criminal justice degree that I um, received last summer or last spring. Um, It it was never a big thing. It was not, education was there. Um, It was very basic compared to the school district I went to. And, you know, the, the learning opportunities that I did for Wildland Fire um, the online courses, which was terrible in my opinion compared to what it could have been, but that's COVID's fault, not, um, the county or the fire service. Cause they didn't have to take us ever on as wildland firefighters. Um, but it was never my thing. Um, memorizing things I'm okay at if I have time to do it. 12 days. Not that much time, especially when you're supposed to be on an assignment that you're on severity watch and you're going through the mountain looking for maybe someone left a campfire going. Different things that potentially could be hazards to these mountains that would burn in seconds. I mean, the severity was so bad last year with um, the fire... Situation and everything. So as time went on on this assignment, um, the next couple days was super, super rough. Um, We would sit in the truck for, I think, 14 hours. Sometimes we'd get random calls to go investigate a potential fire that turned out to be nothing. Um, Hours, probably an hour, if not an hour and a half away from where we were. And we get there, nothing would, there'd be no fire. We'd get back late at night, or the case may be, we'd have to go to come and go, grab food because everywhere was closed. There was nowhere open for food. Uh, So, the few times, again, we were initially in Rollins and we started getting questioned and whatnot, or the commander started questioning me and the other rookie, he caught on pretty quick of memorizing stuff. I don't. I have a crappy memory. Um, I can remember photographic memory of things that happened to me. But if it's like learning, it takes a while to process and get under my belt, um, especially not twelve days. So we'd be go on shift after like morning briefing, get our assignment, go out, and we'd start driving about maybe maybe 30, 40 minutes into it. He would start quizzing us on random stuff. And then randomly we'd be sitting there trying to look for a potential fire or whatever the case may be. And he would be like, okay, what is uh, uh, number five? Number five of what? You would question like your standard firefighting orders or watch out situations. And he would be like, "Uh, I don't know, what's five of either? And I'm like, I have no idea. And I would sit there thinking, I don't know. And there would be times that the other um, trainee or rookie would also say the same thing. He didn't know either. So um, they would like, grab your guides out, read them. Grab your guides out, read them. We would do that. And it just got so repetitive that it made me feel very uncomfortable at that point. Um, to the point let me reiterate this to the point that we would be done for the day. It'd be like 5.30, 36 o'clock. We'd be checked out for the day. Shift is over with. We'd go to dinner. And while we're waiting for dinner or waiting to get our dinner or eating, they as a group collectively minus the driver, which was our driver engineer, He would be the only one that wouldn't participate in this stuff because he kind of just, he drove us around. Periodically would give us some stories about his career, not necessarily in fire, but what he did and stuff like that. But then the rookie started then quizzing me when he understood it and I didn't. And then the leader would then get on to me and we'd be sitting there eating and nope, we're not leaving here. You're not taking another bite until you know this or you you know it by heart. And I'm just like, we're off duty. What are we doing? There is a time where, like I said earlier about the, my ex-wife and the Department of Human Services, the guardian at Lidham, the lawyer for my daughter, they'd be texting me or whatnot during dinner when they knew I was off shift to kind of update me or try to like ask questions about the case, things like that. Um, despite the fact being told I would not be available, but that clearly did not happen. Um, that they would still try to question me and be like, Put your phone down, you can't no, 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 no. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so annoying. Go back to the hotel and I would go out for a little bit to to talk to my wife um while we were on assignment, talk to her for a bit. And just kind of wind down, um, complain to her about what was going on, wanting to come back home, wanting to get off this assignment because it was just, I didn't know like what was going to happen next because it just seemed like it kept escalating with the, in my eyes and even at one point the other trainee had mentioned, and I'll get to this part of the story in a bit, but had mentioned to me as well that he felt the same way. Um, he obviously knew he caught on quicker. Um, he was begging me to read the stuff overnight. To do it on off time. So then when he had questioned us. We had know it and he would shut up. And that didn't really happen. Um, I came back to my room one evening. I think three or four days into this assignment and had a, and it's funny enough because I still have it in my little binder. I did not know I had this. From the comfort inn, it is a literally a note with, Hi, keep informed on fire, weather, conditions, and forecasts, which, if we go to our IRPG, is the first standard firefighting order. Keep informed on fire, weather, conditions, and forecasts. So you had essentially this toxic, toxic behavior from this commander that he just would not let it go. I mean, we'd be off shift. I would be doing other things. Just trying to mentally prepare myself for the next day was so tough. And it was rough dealing with the harassment, the bullying, whatever you want to call it. Because we never knew, me and the other firefighter that I was bunked up with, never knew what he was going to do. And... We knew him from the station, obviously. He was our commander. We had no idea. We're in the middle of nowhere. We don't know if we're going to have to do some dumb crap that is not related to fire, if we had to do extra work because we're not remembering this to the the heart, things like that. And call it what you want. I've, I've heard numerous people Left and right tell me, well, those are orders you need to know. And I, I completely get that. That is not even a question here. But when it's not drilled and it's not told to memorize these by heart, we need to know them over a full year of training. Which, mind you, the commander on this thing it was the trainer. So that's even worse. And it just it didn't didn't feel right it didn't feel good it was just so much different scenarios he would put us in that was again super toxic and we were there to do one thing we were on severity watch to make sure that if something broke out there was going to be firefighters there to take care of it so he was so consumed in the Wanting, uh, trying to drill this stuff into us in every possible toxic way he could instead of actually taking the time when we were asking to go do training. We'd have 14-hour days where we could have stopped for a couple hours and did some training. We asked to draft. I know the, the other rookie was wanting to go drafting if we could find a water source. That never once happened. And it just that that's all it was. It was, we're just going to drive around all day and satisfy what needed to be done for to look. We were told on numerous occasions when we got there, if you see someone with an open fire or whatnot, stop and go talk to them. They would not get out of the truck and go talk to people. They didn't want to interfere with someone's business. They did not want to do any of that. And Quite frankly, that was not what we were there for. Um, the few times that we were teaming up with the Forest Service person that was in charge of kind of like leading us in a way, we would stop. we were told we can't get out of the truck, we had to stay in while they went and handled stuff. So it, it was not a learning situation at all. There was just nothing there that essentially assisted us in getting anything done and while you had it, like I said you had me struggling financially, having to like have my wife transfer money to me, which was already hard enough because there was no reception with the cell phone service I had any of this type of stuff and it just got super 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 toxic um, with the kind of like situation we were put in. And uh, frankly, again, like when you put all these factors in motion with financial issues because you were told something different, you're barely making a buy, you're barely able to eat because your card might get declined. Um, There was a... I mean, there was even like toxic behavior of like right off the bat, I was getting like... Made fun of because I ate slow. When we would be there for a while at these dinner break, excuse me, breakfast places, and I understand we we ate before um, shift, so we had to get to where we needed to be. But I mean, we would arrive to the the firebase or whatever you want to call it, the uh, four service base um, or station, like a good hour before we were even supposed to be there for morning briefing. And you're sitting there an hour, two hours before when we're getting breakfast, making fun of me because I'm not eating quick enough. It, it was just ridiculous. Or like I would order like less food cause I wasn't as hungry and didn't want to take food with us that I would get made fun of for that. There was just so much different things that were just continuing to add up and up and up that it just was a toxic environment. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to go home, but I knew in the long run, let me just stick it out. Maybe we'll get on a fire and then not have to worry about it. So as time went on, finally, finally, he just, I don't know what clicked. He finally stopped asking about the... Um, 10s and 18s. I don't know what clicked, what changed. I, I kinda, I was annoyed by it. Um, I think I had made that clear, um, clearly. Um, because it, it, it got so toxic that even, like I said, the rookie started doing it to me when we were in our room trying to go to bed. And that was the most ridiculous thing ever as well. Um, cause he kinda bought into the, the behavior because... I think it, in a way, made him feel a little bit of higher power because I wasn't remembering stuff, and he did, that he got still sick and tired of it being asked. Um, but there again, there was no learning environment with it. It was just quiz, 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 and not explaining stuff. It wasn't sitting back and being like, hey, Let's go through a story of how we can connect the dots to all these. There was none of that. There was nothing to help memorize it to the point that I had to put it on my phone as my lock screen. So when I got asked, I would literally click my phone and look at it real quick to answer a question. And I mean, eventually, eventually throughout the weeks, or the two weeks, I eventually memorized a couple so it is what it was. Um, the following week is where it all started to really fall apart um, for everything. So, uh, how do we put it in words? So, the twenty first is when we got up there. I would say it was probably the would have been the 30, 30th. It was the thirtieth. Uh, looking at a calendar, so. The 30th, we went out on on basically our normal routine to go patrol. And we get up to an area. We were told there were supposed to be storms in the area that day. This could be a potential for a fire due to lightning. Okay, awesome. We may get a fire here to put out or whatnot or work on. So we're driving We get up to this uh, point in this mountain on this uh, dirt road, and it starts pouring. We're like, all right, well, let's go back down this mountain because it's getting a little too sketch in this area. There's potential for flash flooding, things like that. So we turn around, wrap around this mountain, go check, and we're like, you know what? We'll go check one campsite at the top of this area. We go up there. There's nothing up there. We come back down. We are driving back down, and... We come towards, it's kind of a little hill that we're going off. And at the bottom of this hill is a campsite. So we're going back down. It's Dirt Road. And there's probably about a car length each side. So enough room, should be enough room for one side to go up, one to go down. But in some areas it was a little sketch. So we're going down. And we notice that there is a car coming up pretty quick and or car a truck coming up pretty quick with a camper attached to it and he is definitely speeding where he shouldn't be and all i hear is the driver our driver say oh crap he's gonna hit us if we continue and next thing you know the vehicle is sliding down and going off the side of the road. Our 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 Type Six brush truck, and that like, it happened so quick. But to this day, I can still play it back in my memory, point by point. And he has to swerve, and as he kind of swerved to miss getting hit by this truck. The wheel caught off on a side of a this mountain, dirt road mountain, that it just gave out. And it started sliding. Our truck then went down into, I think when we measured it with our phones, it was an 85 or 86 degree. Um, the truck was sitting at an 86 degree angle off the side of the mountain. It was being held up by a tree. I don't know how, but it was uh, to an extent and some of the dirt because the dirt was wet. In a moment of realizing that I, we probably could have died, most likely we were about to die, <laughs> plain and simple. Um, we could have easily been dead if we would have slid off the road Probably about, I think we measured maybe like 10, 15 feet before. There was no trees. It was just a straight cliff off the side of this mountain. Now, let me just say it wasn't like a straight cliff down. It was a hill, but this our truck would have tumbled hundreds of times down this mountain before it even clipped or hit a tree, which by the force of the truck... Probably would have wiped out a tree at that point. And when we slid off and kinda rusted against this tree, we were all in shock. And it just it was mind blowing. Like I'm looking down, like keep in mind, looking down at the the firefighter sitting next to me and like, what in the hell just happened? Are we alive? What is going on? We get out. We climb out. The person that was going up the road stopped and had these annoying, annoying kids. We're like, oh, my God. We we almost killed the firefighters. Oh, my God. And the guy's like such a douchebag. And I mean a douchebag. Guy is just, oh, my gosh. I didn't mean to go that fast. I didn't mean to go that fast. Uh, such weird stuff. And he was apologizing, but I'm like, okay, dude, you're literally speeding. And just drove, technically made a fire truck go off the side of my, or the, the mountain. Could have killed us. And there's a lot of thought that went through my head over the next probably couple hours of my life in the situation we're in. So first off, this guy starts offering us gift cards, gift cards for running us off the road. Now, I've heard like some other theories on this after the fact um that kind of were a good point by other firefighters when we had talked about it. We never Never formally talked about this situation, and I'll get more into that later, but um, when you think about it, you're driving down a hill, you're in a brush truck, a fire truck, right? You have lights and sirens, you have horns, you have everything you could possibly imagine. You see a truck with a camper flying up this hill, this dirt hill, and know that there's a cliff on the right side of you. As a driver... And as a commander in the passenger seat. Why would you not hit your lights and sirens. To alert that person to slow down. And to take control of the road. You are the emergency vehicle. And shame on anybody that does not get over for fire trucks. Yes we didn't have our lights and sirens on. None of that obviously was there. But you could see us. Clearly could see us. There was no way. The camper and our fire truck, which is not normal vehicles, could get through, or truck and camper that he was towing, could get through on this, this narrow, narrow path. Two cars, perfectly fine. A fire truck, a truck, and a camper, absolutely not. Why didn't, and not to play Monday morning quarterback, but why didn't the driver put his lights on and siren and stop this vehicle from even getting close to us? That should have been the first process. Not to swerve, and whether he swerved off the road himself, I don't know. No one ever knew that. All I know is that he, it kind of seemed like he turned the wheel to adjust and then lost control as the road kind of fell apart. And... We get out, like I said, the people stop. They're complete jerks, jackasses. The whole family was, and he's like, i got to get to my campsite before the weather gets too bad. Like, just going off, and we're just like, go. Lucky enough, we, again, we had no cell phone service for any of us. The four of us had different providers. None of us had service. We got very fortunate that our um, radios for the truck, um, our uh, handheld radio worked in one spot on that mountain to get a hold of dispatch. And this is where the shady part of this story comes from. I don't 100% know whether it was kind of like underplayed to dispatch. I heard the call to them, but then I don't know what happened after that when they left. Um, it just seemed like it was underplayed of what happened. And I don't think no one realized it until after the fact. And so we get on radio. We say we need a heavy wrecker. We need whatever. We're safe to the extent we are. But the truck is literally hanging off the side of a mountain. And... We don't really hear back from dispatch for a while. They finally secured a tow. But the, the guy that initially ran us off the road came back down after he parked his camper, set his camper up for his family to camp, and offered to take the, the driver and the commander, or whatever you want to call him, leader, down to that campsite where cell phone service was available. Okay, we would stay with the truck Um, So basically um, What would happen here is They left and that's where me and the other rookie basically talked And we're like stunned and baffled by What just happened We're also asking questions to ourselves to each other are essentially like, why didn't anyone send up police? Why didn't anyone send up even a fire truck or an ambulance? I know we're in the middle of nowhere, and yes, the f- commander that called in over the radio, he basically said, hey, we're all good, we just need a wrecker, um, our truck crashed or whatnot, but didn't explain anything really else. Um, So they didn't send anyone up We had no food It's some food in our bag that we had for a while Some chips that went flying on the other side of the, the truck When we went kind of started sliding down But we didn't have any real food We didn't have anything And nobody, including the Forest Service that was radioed back to Sent anyone out There was the other trucks that were on assignments that were locally with from here. They didn't come up either. And they may have, I don't know if the one from town was still up there, if that was the day after they left. But there were still other crews in the area. No one came and checked on us. Not one person. And it started raining. So got all of our rain gear out that we had for the assignment just in case it rained. Um, ponchos, jackets, things like that. And for the next probably two, three hours, we sat there because they eventually got a truck to us, which we were in the middle of nowhere. The tow truck they sent us couldn't even tow a normal car. It was such a small tow truck. And we're like, why did they send this? Call back to dispatch. They had to wait another almost hour to get the other truck out to us. And that took a while to get the truck out. Lucky enough, there's no damage, um, from my knowledge still to this day, that there's no damage to the truck. We don't know how. There's no damage to us. There's nothing. Um, We, lucky enough, got back on the road the next day. We were fine. But what was told that night, uh, and let me explain. So, once we got the truck out, it was pouring rain. We were getting back to the town, and again, this is one of those nights where we had, had to stop at come and go and grab whatever food we could to eat that night. There was no real dinner, which completely sucked because we were just literally in this mess. Um driving on the way back, we almost hit a deer. Um that it's like too close calls of like potential death and it was downplayed quite a bit by the driver and the commander in the truck like basically we we're like don't tell anyone that like don't say you almost died blah 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 because we didn't and that's not the case I, I, I know exactly what happened we saw what happened and they downplayed it to be nothing I, I still to this day have pictures and video from that day of like what it looked like with that truck hanging off the side of the, and again, in an 86 degree angle, this truck was hanging off the side of a mountain. Like it was not some joke. It wasn't like, Oh, we just drove off the road. No big deal. And that's what they portrayed it as. And we got kind of chewed out the next morning when we got back to the hotel that night. I had, I had, found out halfway in the drive that I left my cell phone on the ground across from where we were like stranded I'm like ah crap so we get back to the hotel I had to call my wife because it was way past the time frame that I normally checked in once we got back to the hotel and explained what happened and that next morning I, I don't know if the rookie told the other driver or the the commander or whatnot about that. I called home and freaked out and, Oh, we do. We don't need to do that. That that's inappropriate. We can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. Um, we were going to go back to the scene that day because I left my phone. We had to go find my phone. Um, lucky enough. We did find it. It had water damage. That was a whole nother mess that I had to deal with. But, it just it there was so much like red flags that happened on this assignment that just made it horrible. And i I really do feel that the accident part of it was downplayed so much that it was ignored to an extent. I don't even know whatever happened with this. We did. Write up a statement for it. When we got back from the assignment. And I swear it was told. to Don't talk about this again. And no one ever did. Um, we were supposed to sit down. And actually talk about the assignment. And it all went to hell after that. Um, there was an incident. I won't go on uh, about it. Here on the podcast directly. But there was an incident. While we were on assignment. Driving that the um, driver. Um, was being very racist um, towards a song that was being played from his um, Spotify account, and he was being pretty racist of what he said. Um, I had reported that to leadership when I got back, and that's where a lot of stuff kind of went downhill or whatnot. Um, So there was that incident. There was the almost nearly dying couple times because there was a few times we almost hit deer um that would have demolished our truck or flipped our truck or something to that extent and there was the bullying the intimidation things like that but then it just went down from there (laughs) and you think hearing this story like oh how could it get any worse it does get worse um so on July or August 1st I believe it was August 1st um the first or the s- Monday the second, one of the two days, I feel like pretty sure it was Sunday the first, August 1st, 2021. Um, we're at the station, we actually were having sort of a fun time. We were playing um frisbee golf just around the, the perimeter of the station or whatnot, and we get a call um, that there is a fire, um, active fire burning, there's smoke being seen. and. Um, at times, people can see flames shooting up from a mountain top. We're like, okay. So we get the coordinates. We get it. We find out it's about close to about an hour, hour and a half away uh, from the fire base. So we, along with one of the uh, firefighters for the uh, National Forest Service or whatever they're called, um, we are going in as a team. So we go up and. We're driving along. We finally start seeing the smoke. Um, we stop for a little bit, uh, in the gear, get into our wildland gear, get ready to go. We get to a farm area at the bottom of this kind of like mountain area or hill or whatever you want to call it. And we find out that the gates are all locked. And unlike in Colorado where you can illegally cut someone's gate to get through to a fire, you can't do that in Wyoming. So the other situation we were going to be doing is driving back a little bit and going to a field where we'd have to walk through the, like, back part of this farm. Maybe the front end, I think it was more, um, where all their, like, animals were their, um, and things. And it had recently, again, in that area, it had rained the the... Definite answer to this fire was it was started by a lightning strike probably a day or so before that uh, eventually started the fire itself. And we get our gear, we get ready to go, and when we start hiking up this mountain as a team, we're walking across a field. And this field, which there was some little like divots in it, there was a small tiny... I mean probably 12 to 15 inch uh, wide little small river running through it. They had to climb over. and again, there's horses, there's sheep, there's all these different animals or whatnot walking around. And we were pretty much aware like, hey, the ground is wet. be cautious. there's it looks like there's some holes in the ground, things like that. just be cautious of where you're walking. Okay. So we're walking, trying to get to the bottom part of this forest area to start heading into this mountain. And as we get closer to it, I'm walking and my left ankle like divots or foot divots into a hole. Which to me looked like once I kind of recovered and got up or whatnot because I kind of like fell into it a little bit or hit into it. Um, that my ankle started to kind of hurt. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Whatever, I'll just toughen it out and keep walking. And I start walking a little bit more, a little bit more. And I think I had two people behind me, and I was like, hey, go ahead of me. If I have to be last in line, I'll be last in line. My ankle kind of hurts a bit, but it should be good. And I took a few more steps and realized that it was in pain. It was in massive pain. So I, I literally, I was like, I can't go, I can't go. I, I, I'm hurt. Um, the commander stopped everything, kind of. The other firefighters were, like, kind of pissed off that they had to stop, which I also learned is not standard protocol for any of that. When there's an injury, everything stops, boom, done. That is clearly not what happened. Um. They, uh, the commander asked if I needed to go by helicopter. I was like, no, it's not that severe. It, it hurts really bad, but I, I don't think that's the severity of what it needs to be. So he's like, all right, we'll get an ambulance here. Well, once they got on with dispatch, let them know of the emergency or whatnot. Um, and let them know, hey, if we can get an ambulance, there was an ambulance coming from another town that could be there shortly. Um but then there was some other I believe he was a chief or something. I've been corrected a few times on this that he was not a chief, but pretty sure I remember hearing over the radio that there was a battalion chief for the National Force Service that could come pick us up and take us to the hospital. Otherwise the ambulance was there. And I totally told my commander I do not want an ambulance here. If it's the only one around in this area that needs to be saved for someone that could potentially be re- dying or hurt or whatnot. My ankle hurts; it is clearly I can feel it like swelling up in my boot. Um, the The battalion chief or whatever he was could pick us up. That'd be totally fine. We get back to the truck. I hobble my way back to the truck, and he gets iced out of the cooler, and he's like, "All right, let's let's put." take your boot off and put ice on it, which then I also learned was not the wise thing to do. Um, My boot probably had more protection than taking it off and putting ice on it. Um, That kind of was told not only by that battalion chief that picked us up, but also the hospital that I went to. Um, We were good about two hours away from the hospital. We had him take us back to the uh forest service station that we were stationed out of. And then one of their employees took us to the hospital. I get in. Um, he ended up not wanting to sit there. There was patients with COVID there. Um, he had potential health issues that could be issues if he got COVID. Um, so he left. Um, he went and sat in a truck with the, the person that drove us or whatnot and they did an x-ray. They did it. They said it was a sprain. Um, they put a, um, what is it called? One of those air braces on it that have the gel pads in it um, that kind of help with that type of stuff. And we're like, okay, hey, stay off of it um, or whatnot. You're needing rest. rest. You definitely can't be firefighting or whatnot. So on the way back, obviously the other crew is still on this fire and we hear radio transmission that um, they were getting off the fire for the day and that they were getting a helicopter ride back to the vehicles because it was too dangerous to hike down and would have took too much time. And I remember the commander looked back to me and was all like pissed off about it, that he wasn't getting to go on a helicopter. And I replied back with, dude, I'm just as pissed. That's, so awesome that they get to go on a helicopter and kind of expressed it but he was just kind of weird about it um and, and kind of the back up to let me back up a little bit cuz this is a, another important part of the story so when the um battalion chief or whatever he was picked us up from the scene um and was talking he's like ah oh, he was joking uh, literally was joking about ha 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 you know if um Joking about the situation with my ankle, and he's like, ah, oh, did you just fake this to not have to hike up that mountain? And I, I quickly laughed that off, I was like, no, like, dude, this is my first fire, this is awesome, this is, this is what we've been here for, so no. But I looked back at the commander in the backseat, and he gave me this real jackass... Like, eh, look, at, that basically was insinuating that that's what he believed. And I'm like, what the hell? Um, so anyways, we, going back to when we were going back from the hospital to the hotel, he hears that, he's pissed off about that. And I'm like, eh, whatever, dude, can't help you on that. That's This is, again, not my fault that I accidentally stepped in something or the ground kind of gave way a little bit and it hurt my ankle. Um, so we get back to the hotel and I at that point had a prescription for the next day that needed to be filled. Um, he said he would make sure that we're good to go on that. Don't worry about it. We'll get you there and whatnot. Um, that was probably the, I want to say one of the last few times I heard from them while we were on this assignment. Um, this, this would have been on, Sunday the 1st, so we had Monday, Tuesday, and I believe we came back on Wednesday or Thursday, I think Thursday was the return date, August 5th, so I sat in that hotel room for roughly about, I want to say about 48 hours before really communicating with anyone. Um, That night, I don't think they got back from the fire until really late, but since I was resting my ankle, I feel like they went to dinner that night. Um, Then the next day, um, I sat in a hotel. They got up early because they had to get on to the helicopter to go fight that fire some more because it was still not out. Um, so then I still had, again, still had this prescription that needed to be filled. And sure enough, they left. There was no communication with anybody, including the like commander of the Forest Service that was still at the station. None of that type of stuff. Um, they said... Last I heard, they'd be in communication with me. Everyone was aware of the situation. Not a thing. Didn't hear from anyone from my own fire department um, back in the Springs. They were aware of the issue. Um, the only thing I really heard from my commander was that he needed the documentation for the um, workman's comp stuff basically like sent to him. So, filled out and sent to him that I got from the hospital, which I did. And then I did not hear from him that entire day. Um, I had slept throughout the day, but then probably, I want to say about 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, I had to make the decision that I needed to get this prescription. When I'm looking at a map of where the hotel was, um, and this is Then, again, this is in Saratoga now. We are no longer in um, Rollins, Wyoming. We're in Saratoga, which was our home base or whatnot. Um, I looked on a map. I'm like, oh, that's not far away. It's like a block or two up the road. What I didn't realize was when I looked at it, I was zoomed out. It was actually like seven or eight blocks, and it was a hill. So I'm like, oh, great. So I get out there. I... I have his ankle brace on, and I'm literally hobbling up this hill, or limping, whatever you want to call it, up this hill, finally get up there, nearly out of breath, dying, it's so hot out, I get my prescription filled, pay for it, and then I I go back to the hotel, and that just was an experience, I, I think I even stopped at the family dollar that's Nearly in the same parking lot. Got some food to heat up. Um, I did not hear from them the rest of the day. I They were on the fire. And I had fallen asleep a few times. Watched TV. Listened to podcasts. Whatever else I could fill my day with. Because the internet, internet sucked in this hotel. So I do all this stuff. And I fall asleep, and at some point, I kind of wake up and I could hear the backing up of our truck. Our truck had this very weird backing up noise that we couldn't figure out what was wrong with it, but it was a unique sound that would not be mimicked on any other type of truck. So I knew it, I heard the door next door open, like someone ran in. It then closed, I heard them lock it, and then I heard the truck drive off. This is probably about 6.37, if not a little bit later that evening. This would have probably been Monday the 2nd, I believe. Let's look at a calendar again. So, yeah, Monday the 2nd. Did not have dinner that night with them. They did not even communicate with me. I had then fallen back asleep... Next thing I know, I woke up, it was probably about midnight, and the other dude was sleeping. Okay, whatever. Um, Tuesday night, Tuesday, same thing. They were going on the fire, um, from my knowledge, and then did not hear anything from them again. So that was all day long. I think they got in probably around nine ten o'clock that night. And, again, this is another day of sitting in a hotel doing nothing for the entire day. No communication with the outside. No one's called. No one's done anything. Kind of weird. Um, so, again, hobble my way over to Family Dollar, get some TV dinner stuff, get a Dr. Pepper for caffeine, and that's my day. Um, I believe it was on no Tuesday morning. I apologize. Tuesday morning, I went, I got up, um, after they had left and went to the diner next door, got some food, um, the place we were normally eating at in the morning, ate, went back to the hotel, slept most of the day. They got there about 10 o'clock, way after the fact of dinner. Um, The roommate came in or the other firefighter came in showered, talking to his mom about how crappy the fire was and went to bed. Didn't say a word to me that entire night. Not a word. Didn't ask how I was. Didn't ask anything. Okay. Wednesday morning came along. um, They said they had to clean up the... I, I think maybe they said something about having to clean up the final day or whatnot and then... That was it. They were done. So they got off shift normal that day. The fire was out. Um, they finally invited me out for dinner um, on our last night there. They go get wings or whatnot at a bar. Um, we did that. And the next morning, we were coming back home. That was the only time. Again, they they asked once, I think, during dinner how my leg was. And I explained it was in pain. Um, and that... Pretty much was about it. There was no other communication with them. Um, We ate the wings. We were off duty. There was no firefighter talk. It was pretty much done. Thursday came along. We went, got up early. And we came home. And when we got home. Of course. I'm on light duty. Not even supposed to be doing stuff. And they wanted us to clean the trucks. The two rookies. I'm like, okay, so in between that and having to write up a report about my ankle, um, the report about the truck incident, things like that, um, me and the other rookie went out there, cleaned the truck, and I kept telling the rookie, hey, dude, we've got to use soap on this. We can't just use water to scrub it. No, it's good. I can't even find the soap He's, he the, the commander that we were on the assignment with said it, we just needed to wa- wipe it down or wash it down. okay whatever you say. So wash he comes out and he's like, yeah, you guys need to do this with soap And I literally spoke up and I was like no, you just said a few minutes ago it just needed to be clean like wiped down with water or sprayed with water and wiped down. And he's like, no, it needs to be fully cleaned with soap and everything. And I called him out like twice. I'm like, no, you did not say that. And he got a nasty attitude with me about it. And I'm like, dude, I'm not feeling good. My ankle is like in pain. And here you are yelling at me about cleaning a truck. It needed to be done. I understood that. And then the rookie went off and grabbed some laundry detergent of all things to wash the truck with because he couldn't find the soap. Seriously? Laundry detergent? So, of course, the truck smelled like a thing of laundry was done. And I know on numerous occasions after that, it was commented like, what the hell were you guys doing? And I explained it. And they're like, oh, that makes more sense why it smelled like that. I'm like, yeah. I specifically knew where the soap was and said on three occasions, go get it, and it never got done. Um, but that did not excuse the fact that the commander was a complete jerk about it. Um, I wrote up my report and I I went home. Um... This is this was, again, the beginning of the end, essentially, for everything. The next thing I know, and we're getting up to about an hour and 45 minutes into this, so probably give it another 15 minutes story time, if not a little bit longer, and then this will wrap this episode up. But um, what followed was horrendous. I, I get home. I... My wife knew about 99% of everything that happened because I had had numerous phone conversations with her um, about the situation and everything. And I was disgusted. I was beat down. I was mentally drained. And I really did not know what to do about the racism situation. I didn't know what to do about the bullying I kind of was just going to sit back observe it a little bit and then potentially speak to leadership at that point point. and I had got a message from my direct leadership that was not on this assignment to schedule a time to come in and talk about the um assignment and how it went and all that type of stuff which was kind of weird to begin with because it just didn't make much sense that in prior assignments that we did or people went on, this was never standard protocol. So I kind of knew right then and there something very strange was going on. Um, I agreed to do it. I went and did it, and that is where I basically told everything, everything I just explained in this podcast Except a little more in depth with the whole racism thing. Um, I explained it all. And they were in shock. But also communicated to me that this is not the first time that that commander had been a bully on assignment. Been a bully to other people in the firehouse with the same scenarios with these quizzes. This is not how the assignment should have gone. It was inappropriate. This type of stuff needed to be handled with and would go up the chain. They gave me the option with the HR department to report the racism issue or whatnot. You can free the call them. Otherwise, we'll see what happens. Okay. So that's where it got a little weird because... Within a couple days, I had then learned that despite the fact everyone that was a leader our higher chain of command above me, pretty much someone went out and pretty much told the whole firehouse that all this situation happened. So everyone knew about it uh, from what I was told. And I I could kind of get the drift of that, that that's what happened. Um, I came in for there was supposed to be a, a crew meeting, I believe looking at I'm trying to think supposed to be a business meeting in September. But I, I feel there was something else prior to that. But um what essentially happened here was after I reported that, I got a call from another commander on leadership or whatnot that wanted me to go over the story with him. He apologized he couldn't be there and went over it with him, apologized again for what happened. That's not how things are supposed to do. He is talking with the chief, blah, blah, blah. I still have the right to talk to HR. I had yet to do that at that point because I was kind of in the middle of it. I I didn't know where to go with it. Um, I told my story. I frankly felt that leadership should have did that, that that's your job as a leader, that's your job as a supervisor. Um, I have been a supervisor in numerous situations, at numerous jobs, and anytime an employee came to me with a questionable situation, it instantly went up to HR. I did not tell the employee that they get the choose to go talk to HR. It just went to HR. That is not what happened here. What happened here is during the time we were on assignment and getting back, that the chief was gone. He was on vacation, so he was not aware of pretty much any of this stuff until he got back. And it got sat on. I mean, I want to say it was almost about a month between getting some notifications from, like, phone calls. Hey, can you come in and talk about this? We're setting up a a meeting with all four of you to go over everything, which I kind of felt was a little weird. Um, especially with pretty much everyone knowing what happened and it spreading like wildfire, no pun intended. But it was very awkward at that point, and I had been asked on numerous occasions leading up to that, like, hey, have you talked to HR yet? Nope, nope, sure haven't. Okay, then you can still talk to us. Because apparently once you talk to HR, no one, including leadership, could talk to you about the incident, which is Completely weird, but okay. Um, so then I went in to have this meeting, and when I showed up, there was no one there. There was the chief. There was a the commander. That was it. I'm like, where's the other three people? And they were not there. So it then began to become very awkward. And when I say awkward, I mean it became awkward as can be. Because I went into this meeting and started having conversations, explaining the situation to the chief, and he expressed to me right off the bat that this commander has shown these behaviors before. He stated he had talked to this commander right after he heard about it, and he ensured it never happened again. But he, he knew that this type of stuff was going on with this person. He's been on numerous HR, like, lists about this type of stuff and it was it was weird it was weird the fact that i was being told about someone's corrective action that they had been put through prior for the same type of stuff but nothing ever happened um it was just super super weird i i as far as i know this person was suspended at one point for leadership violations he was basically terminated from that position um, prior to this assignment, which we knew about, but he was still considered the leader of the assignment. So it was just super weird. And that was just the start of it because I told it to that meeting. Then we had another meeting and another one and that nothing was ever getting done. Between the racism stuff and all that, they kept claiming, oh, we talked to them. We talked to this person. We talked to this person. They're denying it. They're denying it. They didn't do any of this. But there were still other stories. They didn't want to go to this other rookie, from my understanding. They didn't talk to him about it. He didn't say anything about it. Um, so it got really awkward. And had no idea what happened. So the final straw broke when I went in and was talking, was supposed to again, have a meeting with all four people, which was weird enough because they even said they were gonna bring up everything. and I'm like, oh, that's that's not okay. This seems like an HR nightmare violation. So I was like, okay, so I go in and again, none of them are there. It is a new um, leadership that's there. The current one that has been in the process since the beginning. And then the Chief. And they start going down this very awkward weird road. They're basically telling me that I'm full of shit. And none of it happened. The racism thing didn't happen. And that. It just like. This was a you problem. A.K.A. me. And even to the point that. I guess the chief had wrote me on the whiteboard that was behind me where I was sitting. He's like, I have a word up there. You need to take that into consideration and look back at it and really dive into it. And it was me. The word me. And he's like, this is a, 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 a basically a me problem. You've got to think of it this way. This is... Not what really happened, and kind of was like just going off the deep end. That none of the stuff really happened. Um it, it was more something that, as in the fires, like uh, fire world, and like we're all brothers. We can't rat out each other. It was such a weird, toxic interview that I had no idea what the heck was going on. And then next thing I know, about a week, not even maybe a week later, I was getting a phone call from a an, a, an attorney about the situation. Um, it had gone all the way up to their HR department, to other departments, and I had to go in and do a formal interview of the situation. And this is where in my opinion, crossed the line with everything. Um, The county made me sign an NDA, non-disclosed agreement, disclosure agreement, that basically stated if I ever spoke about this um, incident to anyone, um, that I would be fired on the spot. Um, The NDA, which does not state anything about talking about the incident after the fact, you're no longer employed, none of that. So I don't care what happens after this interview is released or this this podcast is released. Because frankly, after all that happened, then I ended up obviously doing the interview, explaining everything, and the whole entire department fell apart. Um, there was numerous news stories. There was a post made on the official Wildland Fire Twitter account that... There's all these people quitting because of harassment and all this type of crazy stuff going on. Um, We went from, I think, 45 people down to like eight. I think that's where it stands currently. I'm not 100% sure, but everyone left. And whether it was indirectly or directly related to the situation I went through, I've heard numerous stories that that is not the case. Um, The chief was let go. There were so many red flags that came up with this situation and when it boiled down to it again I had to sign an NDA and was told never to talk about the incident again and the the people in charge were gonna hold me to that and I'm just like are you kidding me you're making me sign this NDA almost three and a half four months after the fact that everybody knows this story now and it's ridiculous. Keep in mind, everybody in that truck, on that assignment, other than the other rookie, they all resigned. Um, they left. They left when those that situation happened. Um, it got very awkward in the firehouse when I went to business meetings or trainings. I felt very singled out. Um, I... There's a few times I had uh, been in a meeting and was there was a question asked I had raised my hand to answer it, um, they did not call on me they skipped me. There are so many different things that happened and you know everyone left some leaders stayed. There is one leader that has been one of the best leaderships I've ever had It's the firehouse that is still there to this day and. He did not agree with any of it. I've talked to him on a personal matter about it. He does not agree with anything that happened. He thought it was all BS. And the last time I was in the firehouse to sign some documentation, because I'm currently, as I've said previously, on leave of absence, I am granted leave of absence until technically was granted it to January 1st of 2023. I obviously have now resigned. Um, This is the fate of it. I feel that there was a lot of issues that came up. Right prior to that assignment to after it. And then after the assignment. It just went downhill from there. To no end. To no end. And as much as I enjoyed being a firefighter. I enjoyed being there. The pros or the cons weighed out the pros in the long run. I made many memories. I can't really say I ever made any friends off fire because I felt like everyone had a stick up their ass with it. And anytime you tried to make friends, like no one wanted to be friends with you. Um, I I I feel I made at least friendships through fire, but anything outside the firehouse, they claimed they were there for you, but. Most of the people dipped out, they quit, they didn't want to be there anymore. Um, I've heard there was a lot more than just my situation that actually went down that caused the implosion of it. Um, But I think as, as we're going on the two hour mark here, I am officially done with fire. I am disheartened with the situation of how it went down. I wish I'd have never gone on the assignment. Oh, and by the way about that assignment and how I mentioned we got paid and reimbursed for food that I was going to mention later, um, it took over six months to get reimbursed. Um, reimbursed over $1,000 in food cost, and then, of course, it took about six months to get paid. Um, absolutely ridiculous. There was other people on the assignment that got paid pretty quick um, with being paid paid employees the other people on the assignment from other stations were paid instantly um even if they were volunteers there's a lot of red tape that went into that and a lot of crap that i think people dropped the ball and didn't really care about they didn't care about the money that i was out of that my family was out of and the fact that i was called a liar um you know with the being told in that um assignment informational meeting about the like lodging how we weren't sharing a room those type of things I was called a liar that that never happened when I had probably about 15 20 other people that all heard the exact same thing Um, so there's a lot of toxic behavior that came up Probably last summer. I noticed a lot of it throughout the time there, but kind of just put it on the back burner, ignored it. It was what it was. There were so many times I tried to do community things. I made little trading cards for our trucks. Um, We'd go on to like the community events. I'd be put on a different assignment on those events where I couldn't hand out my cards. I, was going to make coloring books for kids that we did parades for, for birthday parades because that was big during the pandemic. That stuff got shot down. Anything I wanted to do to help the community out, whether it be a public event, it happened sometimes, but 90% of the time it was like, nope. But if other people wanted to do it, God forbid it was happening right away. So it's just a shame that the culture drove me out of it and this is not I've heard stories and stories and stories on different podcasts about wildland fire and first responding and stuff like this where these are typical stories this is typical for women in the fire service in wildland firefighting to be harassed by um, leadership Um, there's many men that are harassed, bullied and stuff like that in Uh, the fire service with wildland fire. Now I'm not putting a bad eye on it. Just telling you my experience and what I've heard. Um, So take it of what it's worth. But as we wrap up this two hour episode, I can't believe I recorded this for two hours. Um, I'm so behind on uh, (laughs) the comeback period and YouTube channel or whatnot. Um, But again, this is just one of those things that essentially made my decision final Um, I don't feel that I have enough time to focus on fire um, with the pending criminal case that my ex-wife and her husband are going through that we're all tied into. Um, Along with the fact that I do live on the other side of town and by the time, half the time I'd get over to the station for a call, it, it would just not happen. They would already be gone. I'd end up on backfill and sitting there for hours on end doing nothing. Wasting my time. It's not worth it. Um, I still feel there's people there that had their positions because of the fact of this whole incident. Um, there's a lot of stuff I just never agreed with. and Unfortunately, it came down to this, but I think this was the right decision. I have a lot going forward with becoming a, a sports analyst for um, xflnewshub.com and USFL, NewsHub.com. Um, I will be traveling to Arizona in two weeks to the XFL Showcase for football. Oddly enough, that falls on the one-year anniversary of the assignment, of going on the assignment on July 21st. Kind of weird perspective there to put into place that who would have thought a year ago that I was going on an assignment for two weeks that would change my life, my fire career, And a year later, I would be traveling to a XFL showcase, which potentially could have Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Danny Garcia, the co-owners of the league, and all these head coaches that are huge NFL players or former NFL players and people that I recognize, I've, I've watched on TV. I get to go there and be on a basically not a podcast, but get to be part of this and to, uh, well, I guess be on a a live YouTube show that uh, the website I work for does and just get to share that experience and get to be there of something that I'm even more passionate about. Football is very passionate. Um, So it's kind of interesting when you put it into perspective of everything going on, but I feel that... That is one thing that will essentially always um, be there is this memory of the good times with fire. Not this like toxic, disgustingness that I went through and no one handled. Yes, should I have gone to HR earlier? Maybe. But I was giving leadership the opportunity to do their damn job. That's what it's supposed to be. I have been in corporate America my entire life. I have been around law enforcement, other fire services, and even been told by fire services that leadership should be handling these things. If it doesn't get handled, then it goes to HR. Clearly, that's what happened here. And it wasn't from me. It was from someone else that was disgusted by the matter. So, Take it for what it's worth. Like I said, I am not naming names in this. I am not even explaining where I did firefighting. If you know it, you know the story. That is your right to know. Um, But just know that this is where I stand as a wildland firefighter. I am done. I am finally off my back with this. But I still have those memories that I got to do what I dreamed of as a kid, put my heart and soul and passion and time out of family time and doing family things to go do this stuff. And I appreciate everyone that was part of it. I appreciate the people I met. There were a lot of good people, but there was a few sour people that really ruined it. And just the experience from July of last year up until today is disgusting. Um, I, I, it's toxic, that's all it is, it's toxic behavior from people that should, some people should never be in that career, especially for what they do for our community, but good night, it is, I am not fit for it now, I don't feel like I have the strength or ability to even be part of it, and I, I'm thirty five years old and don't need that type of like toxic crap in my life. I have enough of it. So thank you fire service for everything you've done. This has been the rise and fall of wildland firefighting episode two of the s'more cast. There will be more stuff coming soon. Look out for that. I appreciate everyone's time. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend coming up here. It is Friday. Uh, July 8th, technically the 6th when I'm recording this, but have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you back here next month for the next edition, which is the rise and fall of the Gram Slam podcast and just going over what I experienced in creating a, a, a podcast, an Instagram channel um, or ins- Instagram account for um professional baseball and why exactly it kind of fell through. Um, So I appreciate everyone. Have a great one. Um, Everyone, I will see you back here later. Later, everyone.